Zechariah 14. I've said for several years, I feel like the congregation here has to be sort of like guinea pigs, and they get these messages when they're half half baked and half half prepared and um, half understood and so on. And then maybe after a, a year or two after I've given the message, I start seeing how things fit together. <laughs> but uh, trust the Lord will bring something out of it for us. But we've been looking at this 14th chapter of Zechariah and what an amazing prophecy Zechariah is. Um, so much in here about the Lord Jesus Christ, just directly talking about Him. Everything from His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, His betrayal by Judas and uh, the 30 pieces of silver and the piercing on the cross and the outpouring of the Spirit and all of these things. You know, the opening of the fountain for sin. Um, this stone that uh, has seven eyes representing God incarnate. And here he says, I'm going to engrave on that stone. And uh, in, in connection with that, he says, I'm going to take away the iniquity of the land in one day. So many things like this. And so here in this 14th chapter of Zechariah, uh, it continues on. Let's just read today three verses, verses 9 to 11. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And people will live in it, and there will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. We've seen something of the fact that the, this language that's given here in Zechariah 14 is taken up again and again in the New Testament, quoted in the New Testament. And... Uh, it's always repeated in the New Testament with reference to the last day. And here all these things come together. Uh, we've looked at this in the past weeks. Uh, verse 5, the Lord will come with all His holy ones. That day is going to happen. The Lord's going to return with His angels in flaming fire. And verse 6 uh, it will come about in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Cosmic cataclysm and um, cosmic upheaval in this great day of the Lord. And verse 7, a unique day. A day different than any other day that's ever been in history. Uh, a day which is known to the Lord. You remember what Jesus said. That, that day no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Not, not even the Son, but only the Father. And uh, that day will be unique, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time, at the time when you would expect it to be dark, there will be light. There will be no night then. There will be light instead of darkness. And uh, verse 8, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. They'll never dry up. And so a picture here of this eternal, everlasting supply of the Spirit, eternal salvation. 
And uh, verse 9, the Lord will be king over all the earth. He'll be the only one. He'll be, there'll be no rivals in that day with the Lord. Everybody will gladly acknowledge him as the king of the whole earth. And verse 10, we saw how this looked at this last time, how that uh, uh, everything that competes against and buys against the church will be abased. And the church, the people of God, will have their proper position of exaltation and um, their proper place above all the mountains that, uh, that compete against the church. And then verse 11, what we want to look at today. Uh, in this day that he describes, it says, There will be no more curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. A day when there will be no more curse, but the people of God will dwell in absolute blessedness and security. If you have the authorized version, I think maybe even the NIV, uh, translates this utter destruction. And actually, that's maybe a more accurate translation of this word than the word curse. But I think that the New American Standard is right in translating it curse. uh, And it will carry that meaning. And the reason I think it's right is because it looks like it's repeated again in the New Testament. And that's in the book of Revelation. So let's look over there at that. Revelation 22. Here again, referring to the consummation of all things. Revelation 22, notice here, He showed me a river of the water of life. So there's this same river that Zechariah talks about. And then in verse... Five, there shall no longer be any night. They shall not have need of the light of lamp and so on. When it's at evening time, it'll be light. Again, it's parallel to Zechariah. And yet also in verse 3, and there shall no longer be any curse. Echoing the same language, you see. And I think that's probably the reason the New American Standard translated it in that way. Because there's an echo of this in the New Testament. There shall no longer be any curse. So today then, I would like for us to consider back to Zechariah, those three words, no more curse. No more curse. Those are very simple words, but there's a lot tied up in this saying, no more curse. No more curse. The first thing that we learn from it is that there is a curse right now. And what that means is is that this world that we live in, and this is a basic foundational Bible teaching, and that is the world that we live in is not a normal world. Now that's a big thing. The Bible says that what we see now around us is not normal. Something has happened. Something's gone wrong. And this world is under a curse. Now, uh, we can be so thankful that we have that revelation from Scripture. Can you imagine? Every other philosophy has to start out and look at this world as if it were normal and try to make sense out of it. Uh, We can be thankful So thankful, the Bible tells us this thing is not the way it always was. You just try to begin with the way the world is right now. 
and view that as normal and try to make sense out of it. I mean, just go and spend about two weeks studying concentration camps and then spend another two weeks studying the diseases of newborns. And it, that right there would get you far enough that you're going to be, it's going to be utterly impossible to make sense out of this world the way it is now. And you see, as Christians, we ought not to be apologetic about the fact that the Bible says that humanity fell when Adam sinned. I mean, we can't understand how it all happened. But I know this much, if you don't have that answer, you don't have any answer. I mean, the Bible answer may not be easy to swallow, but it's better than no answer at all. And the Bible answer is, is that something happened back there. When Adam sinned, and the word Adam just means man, when man sinned, something happened to the whole race, something happened to this whole world. And so the Bible explanation is, as you look around you and see all these things, wait a minute, this is not the way God originally made it. Something has gone wrong. Man has sinned. And a curse is resting upon this world. And that's the explanation. The marvel is that you can have so many beautiful days and have so many beautiful things left. That's the marvel. I mean, when you realize the curse that's resting upon the world as a result of man's sin. So, this is something that we have to always bear in mind. I mean, because you're going to run into things every now and then. I mean, we get calloused somewhat just by living in this sinful world. But every now and then you get hit by something that takes your breath away. It's so bad. And you've got to remind yourself, wait a minute, God said this world's under a curse. This is not normal. This is not heaven. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm living in a wicked, fallen world that is under all kinds of evil and curse. And actually, we're sheltered from a lot of things that the rest of the world feels all the time. I mean, um, but even then, we get enough of it, even here in America, uh, and we get plenty of it in terms of the, of the wickedness that we're exposed to. But even in terms of physical frustration and suffering and pain and so on, there's plenty of that too. But the first thing to remember from this verse, we live in an abnormal world. We live in a fallen world. So when God says there's no, not going to be any more curse then, go back to the fact there is a curse now. There's a curse upon this world. But the second thing we need to remember is that according to this same Bible that gives us that explanation, it also tells us this, there's a day coming when there will be no more curse. None. Not one little bit of curse is going to be left. Not one little vestige or reminder in terms of evil and wickedness uh, of the fall. It's going to be gone, taken away. There will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And according to Romans 8, even the whole creation groans waiting for the day when the creation even will be released from its bondage to corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So, um, no more curse. Now, I want to point out here that this phrase, no more curse, in itself is entirely negative. It doesn't say anything about blessedness or anything. It just says no more curse. So it's really, it's it, all it's doing is telling us the way heaven will not be. 
And yet, even that, I mean, you say, well, why would God put it that way? Well, I think because even that is more than we can imagine. When you start talking about what's it mean to have no more curse, you're talking about something so big, it, you could spend the rest of your life trying to take that in without talking about the blessedness. And uh, it's a negative thing, but what it says is incredible. Let's look at uh, part of what it means. Revelation 21. It's spelled out here again. No more curse. Revelation 21 and verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His peoples. And God Himself shall be among them, and He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be, you see that? No longer, no more. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now you just rule out death, crying, mourning, and pain. And just start with that. Get rid of all of that. Every bit of Every bit of weeping, every bit of mourning, every bit of pain, every bit of death. I mean, you think of the implications just of that. Well, these are things that are tied up in this curse. Back to Zechariah 14, uh, we see an amazing description of what it means to be under a curse. And uh, it's something he goes back to this right after talking about there being no more curse. He goes back to it in Zechariah 14, verse 12. And he tells the curse that is upon those who uh, are not right with God. Verse 12. Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. And their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them. They'll seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. They'll fight each other. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance, So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So here's what he says. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Unbelievable, isn't it? This is the vision that Zechariah saw of uh, the curse and the judgment of God. Now, uh, I remember when I I first became a Christian, I hadn't been a Christian for more than probably a month or two. And I remember hearing the teaching from this verse. See, this is what's going to happen when there's nuclear war. Uh, this is the type of thing that you have from radioactive uh, exposure and that type of thing. Well, I doubt that that's what he's talking about at all because... I don't think nuclear war is going to be fought with camels and donkeys. And that's what, that's what he says in verse 15. And so what is this? 
Well, I believe that what it is is a symbolical description of of the plague of God upon the curse of God upon men. I think that's what he's talking about. He's describing, uh, and, and we'll see some verses about this as we go on, but he's describing in graphic terms the reality, a reality that is beyond this thing right here. In other words, it's something worse than this. And uh, if you just say, um, you know, um, the fact that this is figurative shows us how much more the reality must be if God describes His wrath in this way. This is, this is not some kind of nuclear war. It's a supernatural judgment of God, plague, imposed directly by God upon His enemies. Uh, here described in terms of bodily plague, but in verses 17 to 19, the curse of God is described in terms of a plague related to the weather. Let's read that, verse, um, verse 17. It will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague. There it is again. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So here God's judgment, God's curse, is described in terms of no rain. No rain. Now, back in uh, 1988, we went to uh, England, Mona and I did, and we were gone during the month of June. And uh, it didn't rain very much back here. And I remember in one month, when we came back to our yard, it was crunchy that summer of 1988. I mean, in one month of no rain. Now, he says no rain, period, forever. That's a description of God's wrath, God's curse. No rain. Now, the reason I point these things out is, is when, when we start looking at what the Bible spells out as the curse, the results of the curse, these very things are brought up. Uh, the rotting away and the no rain and so on. <clears throat> so, what is involved in the curse? Well, it, you could just sum it up. Hell is what the curse is. Depart from me, you cursed. You see? And so whenever you begin to draw out all the things that are a result of the curse, what you end up with is a description of hell on earth right now. And that goes on into eternity. But on the other side, for the people of God, no curse. Come, ye blessed of my Father. You see? So the two things. What's involved in the curse? Well, um, we read some of those things that will not be in Revelation, but just think of Genesis 3. When God pronounced the curse, when man sinned, <clears throat> what were some of the things involved in the curse? First of all, death. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And then pain 
for the woman, I'll greatly multiply your pain. Cursed is the ground, thorns and thistles. All right? And uh, verse 19 of Genesis 3, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. <clears throat> so, the idea here not just of having to work, but sweaty, toil, grueling, unproductive, uh, frustrating work. And that's what men, I mean multitudes of men, spend their whole life in that type of thing. Grueling, unproductive, frustrating work. Uh, multiplied pain. Sweaty toil. <clears throat> but I want to spend most of our time here in Deuteronomy 28. We're thinking about what's involved in the curse. If, if the Bible's going to put it in the negative, no more curse, we ought to find out what the curse is. And so let's just look in Deuteronomy 28 of some of what's involved in the curse. This is not something that man made up and wrote down. It's something God spells out. And He keeps on and He keeps on spelling it out. Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> and um, beginning at verse 15. It shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God <clears throat> to observe all His commandments and His statutes which I charge you today that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Now, in other words, beloved, constant misery, inescapable. Many a person in this world right now lives in constant misery. Morning and evening, in the city, out of the city, they can't escape it. That's part of the curse. Verse 20, the Lord will send upon you curses, confusion. You know what it's like to be just confused? confusion and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you're destroyed, until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until He has consumed you from the land where you're entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and mildew. You know, things just, you leave something laying and the next thing you know, mildew. Or the fields, the crops, mildewed and blighted. And they shall pursue you until you perish. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you're destroyed. Every, every situation of drought, every situation of bone dry ground and dust and no rain from heaven, those are all examples of uh, the curse that is upon the earth. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. That's a mark of the curse. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them, but you shall 
flee seven ways before them. And you shall be an example of terror on all the kingdoms of the earth. And your carcasses shall be food to all birds of the sky and to the beast of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food to all birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth. There shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with hemorrhoids and with the scab and the itch from which you cannot be healed. All these different diseases. Those things are part of the curse. Itching and scabs and so on. The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and with bewilderment of heart. That's what happens to people that are not under the smile of God. Not every person goes mad, but that's part of the result of the curse. Madness and blindness and bewilderment of heart. Now, the reason I'm going through these is, is when you say no more curse, you're saying no more bewilderment of heart. No more being defeated by any enemy. No more things that cannot be healed. Verse 29, you shall grope at noon like the blind man gropes in darkness. In other words, lostness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. Vulnerable, helpless, robbed. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall violate her. You shall build a house, but you shall not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not use its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have none to save you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and yearn for them continually, but there shall be nothing you can do. People whom you do not know shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors and you shall never be anything but oppressed and crushed continually. And you shall be driven mad by the sight of what you see. The Lord will strike you on the knees. Doesn't it seem like, you know, he's gone on and on? He, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It gets worse. The Lord will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you shall set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods wooden stone you shall become a horror a proverb a taunt among all the people where the Lord will drive you you shall bring out much seed to the field but shall gather in little for the locust shall consume it you shall plant and cultivate vineyards but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes for the worm shall devour them just right there part of the curse the worm devouring the the produce of the vine. Verse 40, You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olive shall drop off. You shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the produce of your ground. The alien who is among you shall rise above you higher and higher. It's part of the curse. And you shall go down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, 
you shall be the tail. So all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger, here's another mark of the curse, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he's destroyed you. And then just skipping over some of the worst things, really. But look at verse 65. Among those nations you shall find no rest, the mark of the curse. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread night and day, and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Would that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Would that it were morning, because of the dread of your heart which you shall dread for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. Now, all of these things were spoken to Israel. And they were judgments that God was going to send on Israel. But the reason I read them is, is that these are examples of the curse. This is what the curse means. And when you think of things like no rest, and trembling heart, and despair of soul, I mean, how many people are there in the world right now that have despair of soul? How many people have confusion? How many people have no rest? All those things, and, and all these frustrating things like you, you build a house, but you don't get to live in it, and that type of thing. Just things that don't make any sense, that are, that are part of what makes life what it is in this present world, fallen world. It's a result of the curse of God upon this world. Now, If you just read back through these and meditate on them, it is amazing. Beloved, what we have here is a description of what your future is going to be if you're not a Christian. Isn't that something? This is the future of every non-Christian. Because it's a, it's a result of being under the curse. That's what the curse involves. You think there won't be despair of soul Whenever God casts people into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there'll be despair of soul. There'll be confusion. There'll be pain from which you can't be cured. Everything that you, that you could read about the curses of God, and there's another whole section in Leviticus 26. You read down through there. All of those things that he enumerates, all of those are just what's involved in being under God's curse, being rejected by God. Now, um, it doesn't ever seem that way at the beginning. It's not going to be that bad. But that's what happens as time goes on. More and more and more. There's a progression. Well, in light of that, these words, no more curse, take on a lot greater meaning, don't they? No more curse. Not any one of these things that we've gone through as we've gone down through here. 
Now the question is, how do I get from this position of being under the curse to being under no more curse? And the answer is, in Galatians 3, Christ became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree that we might receive the blessedness of Abraham. Think of it. One of the things that he mentions here, nakedness. He was naked so that we could be clothed. Another thing that he mentions here, related to the curse, thorns and thistles. He had the thorns on his brow. Another thing is that they'll be isolated. They'll be fighting each other and separated off. And they'll be few in number, he says. He was isolated and alone and bore the curse in that way. Darkness. They'll be cast into outer darkness. He bore the darkness on the cross. Everything became dark. Uh, Pain. He bore the pain. Is there any pain and sorrow like unto his sorrow? And finally, death. So what we have is all of the things that you could put together, if you could take all of this stuff that we've read about what the curse is, that curse fell on Christ. And He bore it so that we would be able to not have to have a curse. Let me just close with the words here of Paul. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, as opposed to the curse, the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He speaks of the blessedness. You think about that? This is Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. All the things that are the opposite of the curse, we can have no more curse because Christ became and was made a curse for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You remind us in Your Word that this world is under a curse and that things are not normal and things are not as they should be. And the reason is is that men have rebelled and gone their own way. Lord, we think of how You enumerate it. All the different situations that relate to the curse, even things like dry ground and Things like building a house and not getting to live in it. Frustrations. Being pushed down and others rising up. and uh, Confusion in the mind. 
despair in the soul and wishing that it were evening when it was morning, wishing that it were morning when it's evening, and, uh, having a sense of, of guilt and condemnation that follows us around where we're cursed in the city and cursed in the country and, and even um, the mixing bowl and everything, everything cursed. Uh, a sense of continual misery because we're not right with you. And Lord, uh, even though these things are cursed, they can be turned into a blessing if if they could be used to drive us to you. And um, we just thank you for the warnings that you've given and for the promise that you've made that one day there will be no more curse. And uh, there will only be two possibilities. Either we'll be a part of the people of God and live in security and blessing forever, or we'll be among those who oppose the people of God, and uh, our flesh will rot while we while we're on our feet, spiritually speaking. I, uh, these, I remember these verses there in Leviticus that we didn't look at this morning, but you said you'll rot away in your iniquities, and Lord. Uh, I just pray that you deliver us from the curse, because. One has borne that curse for us that you'd enable us to put our trust in Christ and to experience the blessedness of the man to whom God will not impute sin. We thank you for such mercy that you've shown to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Let's be dismissed.